Praise the Lord. Good to be in God's house. Amen? Amen. I want to challenge everybody with the Word of God as the Gideons make it available to the masses that we would engage. And so as Leah will be in the back, have an open Bible, please make contribution to the work of the Gideons. Probably you have been here or you've been in a hotel somewhere where you've opened up a drawer and you've found a Bible in that drawer. I can tell you that many, many people have come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because of the work of the Gideons. And so I want to thank them. Also, I can tell you that... Uh, it's amazing to me, as I drove by Clackamas High School last year to see several men, and I'm not talking young spry men, I'm talking seasoned men. And I don't know how old some of these guys are, Leo, but uh, uh, <laughs> pushing 80. And uh, we're, we're looking at a text today, we're in verse 7 of Exodus chapter 7, tells us that Moses was 80 and Aaron was 83. And it's like these men standing out in the driveway just before cars are entering onto 122nd or on Summers Lane. And they're handing New Testament Bibles to every young person who will roll their window down or who walk by. If a bus stops, they'll offer a whole stack of them into the, into the buses. I mean, it's absolutely epic. Young people getting a hold of the Word of God. I will tell you, it was a Gideon Bible very early on in my walk. Uh, before I knew the Lord, that I had this little New Testament. And uh, I hung on to that thing forever and a day. We were at a prayer meeting just, uh, just last week or two weeks ago, and I asked if somebody had a copy of the King James, and uh, Sherry Howell pulled out uh, from, her, from her purse an old Gideon Bible, and I was thumbing through it and going through the Psalms, and we actually sang a song out of the Psalms in the King James, and it was, uh, it was just great. And so I want to encourage you to be a part. Many, many lives are being touched. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the? By the? Word of God. There you go. That's good, man. Let's say it loud. All right. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 7 with me this morning as we continue in our trek through the Old Testament. Exodus is our text. Our theme has been an arrows out culture. They're on their way out. They're on their way out. So before we dive into the text this morning, verses one through seven, it is great, it is a great honor for me to have with us, it's a great honor for us to have with us this morning, uh, Pastor Aaron and Stella Hackett. Pastor Aaron and Stella, will you and your family stand this morning real quick? The House Church, we're thrilled to have them joining us this morning. Yeah, these guys are awesome. They stepped out in faith almost 12 months ago, almost a year ago, and said yes to God, planting a church. Their church has been meeting over in the Kazi Way area, and just very recently, as of last week, they've moved into a more permanent location in southeast Portland, just off of Duke Street, and uh, so we're very, very excited. We've partnered with them. We're praying with them. We're praying for them, and we're believing God for his work in and through their ministry, and many of the house church are with us this morning. If you're a house church family member, will you just raise your hand real quick and let us see? We got a handful of you here. All right, well, we welcome you guys. Glad to have you with us this morning. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Well, if I lose my voice, which I could do, uh, I have a very large cup of coffee here to try and soothe my throat. 
But in the event that, that uh, I do lose my voice, uh, I will preach uh, through Matthew, and Matthew will be, uh, will be like the prophet speaking. I'll give him the words just like Moses gave the words to Aaron, and Aaron shared them, all right? So it could be an object lesson for us this morning. Uh, Exodus chapter 7. Let's read the first seven verses. I'll talk a little bit about what transpires. This is really an encounter that Moses and Aaron are going to have with Pharaoh. You'll be very familiar with this in that we've already been given this information on what they were to do before the Israelites. Now God has given them the instruction to do this before Pharaoh himself, and we're going to see the first of 10 plagues. Uh, we'll see the river Nile turn to blood. And so that's kind of chapter seven. So let's read the first seven verses and then I'll commentate just a little bit and we'll dive into the message. Verse seven, or chapter seven, verse one. So the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you as God to Pharaoh. And Aaron, your brother, shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron, your brother, shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not heed you, so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. Then Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded them. So they did. And Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. So we have Moses and Aaron, Moses receiving directive from God and going forth. Now, let me ask you real quickly, how many of you remember back in grade school, for some of you that might be a little bit of a trek mentally, but you remember back in grade school the proverbial Friday morning show and tell. Raise your hand if you remember show and tell to the class. Sure, all of us remember a story. Perhaps as I even ask that question and ask you to reflect back on show and tell, maybe you have a funny memory. I remember a show and tell when I was young. And in fact, all of the kids in my third and fourth grade class, we used to talk about how strong our dads were. Any guys out here talk about how strong your dad was? Yeah, and I remember my dad telling me how strong he was. <laughs> kind of funny, he just let me know who was boss. Well, my dad, when he was a kid, he grew up in Philadelphia, and he used to mow lawns. And they had push mowers with eight blades, and, you know, they would rotate and, and cut. And, well, then in order for them to edge, they had these big kind of like scissors. And they would go around on their knees, cutting the edge of the grass with these big scissors. 
and it, you'd squeeze and the scissors would open up and chop all along the edge and so he'd go all along the edge. Well, pretty soon his arm would get tired because your forearm is working so he'd switch hands and he'd go down this edge and he'd go all around all four edges and then on the other side of the driveway there were another four edges. Oh, and then on the other side of the sidewalk there were four edges and then on the other side of the sidewalk on the other side of the driveway there were four edges. Well, pretty soon after a couple of lawns a week after a couple of years, he had Popeye forearms, big and strong. At 13 years old, he, tell, he would tell me, there wasn't a kid in the neighborhood that could beat him in a wrestling match. He would, he'd wrestle them all, and they would do, the, you know, they'd have these little scrappy little uh, fight kind of stuff, and he would just get them into a pin, and he'd say, you have to say uncle, right? We all thought that was just kind of corny when people would say, say uncle. No, they actually did that, and he'd hold them until they said uncle. And uh, he, uh, he would tell me, he said, at 13 years old, I was the only boy in the neighborhood that could tear a Philadelphia telephone book in half. And so I can remember telling the kids, show and tell, my dad is so strong. When he was 13 years old, he could tear a Philadelphia telephone book in half. And everyone was, ooh, he's so strong. Well, I had a friend whose name was Jim, and Jim went home and told his dad how strong my dad was. Jim's dad, well, thank you, sir. Jim's dad was an athlete. My dad wasn't necessarily an athlete. Jim's dad was an athlete, and I think he must have worked out because I remember going over their house. They had a swimming pool, and I would remember seeing his dad going, your dad's pretty big. <laughs> and I thought, I wouldn't want our dads to have a clash. Well, Jim, the next Friday, brought half of a telephone book from Orange County which I'm pretty sure was a little thicker than the Philadelphia telephone book. And then he told the story with an object lesson, and he held it up. And everybody thought Jim's dad was now the strongest guy in the class because he actually brought the evidence of tearing the phone book in half. Well, whatever your story may be, this story and this narrative gives us an example of both show and tell to the class. Show and tell to the class. The title of today's message is Ambassadors, and I want to talk about, uh, we'll, let me commentate a little bit on the tail end of the, the text here, uh, and then we'll dive into this message on ambassadors. Aaron and Moses go before Pharaoh. He asks for a sign. Moses and Aaron, they cast down the rod. The rod becomes a serpent. Pharaoh calls his magicians in. They cast down their staffs. They become serpents. And then Moses' staff consumes the two staffs or the snakes. And then it's grabbed up by the tail. And Pharaoh is not impressed because his people can do the same thing. Then they're to meet Pharaoh down at the water the next day and they're to strike the water of the river and the rivers will turn to blood. Now, it's amazing for seven days this is the scenario. The people cannot drink the water. The people cannot drink from the streams. The people cannot drink from even the waters that were collected and stored in the wooden vessels for it had turned to blood. Some commentators would say that it turned blood red, and there is natural phenomenon that would occur. 
I think when the text declares that it was turned to blood, that our simplest understanding of the text is that it turned to blood. And I think it was a miraculous work of God, and it turned, in fact, to blood. So we have this first encounter with Pharaoh and with Aaron and Moses and Pharaoh's heart being hardened. Let me touch real quickly on, again, God hardening Pharaoh's heart. It is a portion of scripture that is often misunderstood. In this particular portion of text, there are two words for the word harden. The one where it says uh, that Pharaoh's heart was hardened, actually the Hebrew word means it was hardened. Where it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, it means, or it is translated more properly, that God made firm Pharaoh's heart. He made it firm. Pharaoh already had a position and a disposition in his heart. God gave an opportunity for that to be revealed. The scripture tells us in Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 1, the crucible is for silver and gold, but the praise of man for man. In other words, man's crucible is praise of others. And God set up a crucible moment. It was a kiln And the clay was put inside the kiln. And because Pharaoh was going to lose the service, the worship, and the work of the Israelites to an unknown God, remember he's the Pharaoh who said, who is Jehovah that I should listen to him? He was going to lose praise to a rival God. And so in the midst of that crucible, in the midst of that kiln, his heart was hardened because he wanted the service of the Israelites, if you will. And so God gave the opportunity. Can I suggest to everybody here real quickly? Let's be certain that we seek to live our lives as unto an audience of one that we would not pursue the praise of our fellow man. It's interesting how there is an innate desire in the heart of man to receive the praise of his fellow man. Let us seek to live our lives as unto an audience of one, and that one being the Lord. Let's live our lives as unto the Lord. Amen? Amen. Okay, so let's look at our text here. And as we consider the show and tell, three thoughts associated with our text today. The first is, ambassadors characterize the majesty. This is the show, if you will, of show and tell. Ambassadors characterize. What is an ambassador? Here is the scenario. Moses and Aaron have been given the assignment to represent God to Pharaoh. They represent a king and therefore a separate kingdom and they are presenting this king and kingdom to Pharaoh who represents the kingdom and the kingdoms of this world. 
And so, a diplomatic official of high rank is the definition of an ambassador. The chief of a diplomatic mission, the ranking official diplomatic representative of a country to the country to which he is appointed and the personal representative of his own head of state to the head of state of that host country. So Moses is representing God. Aaron is representing God to Pharaoh. Similarly, you and I are representatives of God today. The scripture calls us Christ's ambassadors. Now, Moses and Aaron were empowered to represent God, and they were given authority to represent him. You and I also have been empowered. You and I have also been given authority to represent, to represent. We are a representation of God to those around us. The scripture says in Acts chapter one and verse eight, you shall receive power after that. The spirit of God has come upon you and you will be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the ends of the earth. Empowerment in the, the enduing of power to be a witness unto Christ. No longer witnesses unto ourselves. Can I get an Amen. Witnesses unto Christ. Luke chapter 10 and verse 19. The scripture declares, Jesus said, I have given you authority to trample upon snakes and scorpions and most of the power of the evil one. No, wait, what? All of the power of the evil one. Nothing shall harm you. He has given us authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and all of the power of the evil one. So authority and empowerment. So we are Christ's ambassadors, empowered divinely and given authority from the very throne of God. We characterize, again, this is that representation. We reflect. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, again, just telling us we are Christ's ambassadors. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 goes on to say in verses 1 through 3, listen to this. Do we begin again, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth, do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistles, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. Listen, Paul was reminding the church in Corinth, you are a living epistle, and you are being read by all men. Somebody once said, uh, you may be the only Bible that those in your realm of influence ever read, your life. Just as Paul reminded the church in Corinth, read by all. People are watching how you and I are representing 
the Lord. Our lives are a picture. And so, let us represent well. Oswald Chambers, many of you have participated in reading My Utmost for His Highest, a daily devotional that has some 365 excerpts from sermons that his wife took shorthand. Oswald Chambers died at 43 years old, never wrote these words in book form, but his wife and daughter after his death put them together in a devotional form from her shorthand notes of his sermons and the things that he had prepared, many of which were sermons that he spoke to young soldiers during World War I as he was a military chaplain and others from earlier when he taught Bible. Oswald Chambers believed that as we focus on abiding in Christ, being identified with him, and conforming our wills to his, we become a living sacrament of his grace. We, the messengers of the gospels, should become the message ourselves. We must become, as Chambers said, living epistles, letters of love from God to his children. You and I, we are a representation of the word. We are a representation of Christ, Christ's ambassadors. Let us become the living epistle. Now, we are a reflection of Christ, a reflection of God to those around us who may not know the truth, who may not be familiar with the truth, who may not be familiar with God's word at all. Just like the sun, if the sun is here and the moon is over here, the moon is reflecting the light of the sun. The moon does not have light in and of itself. It simply reflects the light. So we also are a reflection of Christ. A reflection. Now then, How great is the reflection? On a cold winter night, full moon, if you go outside, you might see a bright moon. In fact, when the moon is at its closest to the earth, it appears a little larger, and if you see a full moon on that particular season, you will see a very bright moon. Are you familiar with what a lunar eclipse is? A lunar eclipse is when the sun is here and the moon is here and the earth in its rotation comes in such a place as the moon is traveling around that the moon finds itself in the shadow of the world. And the light of the moon is dimmed. For the world has come between the source and the reflection. I would submit to everyone today that the brightness of your light will be reflective of two things. Number one, your closeness in your relationship to the Lord and the amount of the world between you and the Lord. Does that make sense? So let's be in close connection to the Lord and let's not have a love of the things of this world. Characterize, we represent. 
We're ambassadors. We're characterizing the majesty, the one who we represent and reflect. It is the eye of the statement, I have made you. Remember, it was God that says, I have made you, Moses, as God to Pharaoh, and I have made Aaron as a prophet to you. It is the eye, the majesty. His name is Yahweh. We were introduced to him again last week by the name Yahweh, the name Jehovah. He said, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he said, I was not known to them by Yahweh. Rather, El Shaddai, the all-powerful sustainer. But to you, Yahweh, I am the becoming one, the becoming one. And so we, Christ's ambassadors, we are representatives. We are characterizing, and God desires to make his appeal through you and I. Christ's ambassadors. And God is making his appeal through you and I. Just as he was with Moses and Aaron, he is making his appeal to the world. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Christ's ambassadors. We are ambassadors also conveying the message. Conveying the message. And we saw in verse 2, you shall speak all that I command you as Moses was instructed by God. And Aaron, your brother, shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of this land. So Moses, I'm going to tell you, you're going to tell Aaron, and Aaron is going to tell Pharaoh. Convey the message. This is the tell of show and tell. Verse 2. Again, we are ambassadors. We're on diplomatic mission. Will you look at me this moment briefly? We're on diplomatic mission. We have been commissioned by Jesus, our commander-in-chief. We have been given authority from the throne of God. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, all authority has been given unto me. Behold, I have given you authority. Come on. We are on diplomatic mission. Are we on mission? Leo, you asked a good question. Are we engaged? Are we on mission? Let us be on mission. So ambassadors, to convey. What does it mean to convey? It's to communicate. I love Isaiah chapter six. Many of us in this room are familiar with Isaiah chapter six. For it is when the king dies, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord seated on his throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. It was almost as if he had put the king in a high place in his own heart. And when King Uriah dies, he now sees the Lord seated high and exalted. Maybe you're here today and there's something that you have had between you and God. And your relationship with the Lord is hindered by that which you have exalted in front of him. I would that you would kill that so that you might see the Lord high and exalted, sitting upon the throne and the train of his robe fills the temple. And it's in Isaiah chapter 6. In fact, if you have your Bibles, just flip back to Isaiah chapter 6. 
This is the I go of God. I love this. In the, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim, each had six wings and two covering his face and two covered his feet and two, flew, uh, two with he flew. And one cried to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me and having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, and I love the King James because the King James says, lo, lo, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. We have the woe, we have the low, and we have the go. God says, go and tell. Go and tell these people. Go and tell. And so this conveying, the communicating is to go and to tell, to go and to tell. We've seen the Lord. God has revealed Christ to us. Thanks be to God. So our mission is to go and tell this people. Who is this people? Well, I would submit to you, who is your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Listen, wherever God has you, you're in a realm of influence and we're to be influencers of his kingdom, his kingdom, sharing the message. We're ambassadors conveying the message, so let us convey that message. You know, it was St. Francis of Assisi, Assisi, that's what happened. Boniface ended up with a black eye because he called St. Francis Assisi. <laughs> St. Francis of Assisi, he said these words, and we've heard it, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Let me quote it, actual. Preach the gospel at all times. That's often neglected in the quote. Preach the gospel at all times. And then he went on to say, use words if necessary. Now, I would submit to you that it is necessary to use words. But he allowed for that in his statement, that we should be using words. But here's the, the cry for you and I is to preach the gospel at all times. Amen. Both in our conduct and in our conversation. Conversation in the King James, the evolution of words, today's vernacular, conversation means verbal and nonverbal. In the 1600s, conversation was 
every part of your being conveying. Paul charged Timothy in 2 Timothy in the pastoral epistle, 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Hey, we've got to communicate the word of God. We must communicate the word of God. And again, in the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Just as Moses got instruction from Aaron, or got instruction from God and gave the instruction to Aaron, he said these words, you shall speak all that I command you. Listen, we must give them the full gospel. Can I get an amen? We must tell the story, God's love story, the message, the gospel, the good news. Ambassadors convey the message. The message is the gospel. Thanks be to God, and it is good news. It is good news. Jesus died a death that each one of us deserve. He died a substitutionary death. He took your place and mine, and he took their place. Thanks be to God. Scarcely will a man die for someone who is righteous, let alone an unrighteous, right? And God has, God made him who knew no sin to become sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. Come on, that's good news. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If we confess with our mouth Jesus Christ is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Confession is made, heart belief. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Man, that's good news. And the world needs to hear just like that young woman needed to hear. She needed someone to fly from Alabama and come out. The world needs to hear. Hey, listen, they don't only need to hear it, though. They need to see it. Can I get an amen? amen. They need to see the power of God working in our lives. Not having a form of godliness denying the power therein. If you're a Christ follower and you say, I am a Jesus man or I'm a Jesus woman, then the power of God to deny the flesh, to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions in this present age can be working in us. We should be walking in victory. Just like that song, walking in strength and victory. Come on, walking in strength and victory. I don't even remember the rest of it. <laughs> 
Come on. The message, the gospel. Exodus chapter 7, those were the first two verses we looked at. Verses 3 through 5, again, focusing on the hardening of the heart. We come to the last of the points this morning about ambassadors. Ambassadors carry the mission. So the carrying of the mission, this is, we've seen the show, we've seen the tell. This is, the message is being taken to whom? It's the class. We're showing and telling to the class. My dad's stronger than your dad. Here's the proof. Jim, Jim held up the proof. Hey, can your dad do this? I remember talking to him on the phone that day after school. I'm like, yeah, hey, yeah, you know, my dad, he's torn telephone books in half. I was pulling his leg at that point. I'd never seen my dad do that. And he says, oh, my dad's in the kitchen right now. He's tearing another one in half. He's putting two of them together. I'm like, I got to go now. <laughs> Ambassadors carry the mission to the class. I love Exodus chapter 7 and verse 6. It says this, and Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. They did as the Lord commanded. They did as the Lord commanded them. So did they. It's like a double positive. They did what he commanded, so did they. This is our season. We are the church. We are Christ's ambassadors. We are reflecting something. Are we reflecting the Lord? Are we reflecting his power, his authority? Are we conveying his message? There's only one way to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You say, well, that's narrow-minded. And everybody in the world thinks that's narrow-minded. And I say, yes. And they're not your words and they're not mine. They're God's. And he wrote the book. It is what it is. No apologies. Hope is found in no one else but Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, we must give them Jesus. Come on. So Moses and Aaron obeyed the words of God. We're ambassadors, divinely empowered, authoritatively charged to carry, to execute the mission, to go and make disciples of all nations, all of the nations, to be witnesses unto the Lord in our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, and unto the ends of the earth. You would remember the story of Zacchaeus in Luke, the 19th chapter. Zacchaeus was a child of Abraham. He was in collusion with the Roman government, tax collector. He was taking things that didn't belong to him through extortion. And Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come on down from the tree. I'm going to have lunch at your house today. And Zacchaeus scurried down and made preparations. And Jesus showed up, and he was ridiculed for it. 
And Zacchaeus stood up at that moment of honor and he said, anybody I've taken unduly, he says, I'll pay four times, which was according to the law that he would repay. And Jesus said, salvation has come to this house for he is truly a son of Abraham. Zacchaeus, powerful story. When asked, Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. I have come to seek and to save the lost. At 12 years old in Luke chapter 2 and verse 49, Jesus now separated from his family for three days as they had left the city. Jesus remained, but his mom and dad didn't know, supposing that he was with the relatives as they were leaving. Jesus, for the very first time, was allowed into the temple. And his parents, traveling a day and a half, realized, hey, where's Jesus? And asking the relatives, no one has seen him, and they make their way back to the city, and they ultimately, in a scurry, and a flurry, find Jesus in the temple with the teachers of the law and the doctors of the law. And again, I can only fathom, we read the text in Luke chapter 2, uh, Jesus, why would you do this to your mother and I, or your father and I? And we just read it kind of normal. I can only imagine what Mary's response to Jesus was to a 13-year-old boy. Jesus, what are you thinking? We've been worried about you for three days. What are you doing? Probably in a panic. And Jesus' response to his parents at 12. Did you not know I must be about my father's business? The father's business to seek and to save the lost. To seek and to save. And so, this morning out of Exodus, we are ambassadors ambassadors. We have the show and the tell to the class. As ambassadors, we characterize the majesty, we convey the message, and we carry the mission. If you're here today, which look at your neighbor and say, you are definitely here today, because they are. Maybe you're here and you need to commit your life to Jesus. The Bible says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. That the world through him might be saved. If your faith is not in Jesus today, the Bible tells us that you stand condemned in your sin. But you need not stay there. Jesus paid the price for your sin. He took the penalty for your sin. The wages of sin is death. He took that death upon the cross for you. His grace and the forgiveness of sin is received by faith. It is an expression of faith. Receiving Christ as Lord and Savior. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord, that is a declaration I am inviting Christ to be the Lord of my life. And I am positioning myself under his covering so that his shed blood covers my sin, both my inherited sin and my 
sin of commission, my trespasses, where I have been willful against the law of God. If that's you this morning, we want to give you an opportunity to receive Christ.